0: All right, great. Well, let's go to Daniel chapter 2 this morning. Daniel chapter 2. I'm excited about this series in the book of uh, Daniel and uh, the parts that are just kind of talking about his life. We'll certainly be able to learn by what he went through and, um, and find uh, some, some uh, similarities, some things we can identify with uh, for sure and uh then when it's uh you know there's gonna be some prophecy there as well that uh it's gonna be exciting to see you know things that God has forecasted either things that have already come to pass or things that are gonna uh, you know they're going to come to pass and you can count on it if God says it's going to happen uh, it's already happened or it's going to happen uh, it's, it's it's set in concrete you know nothing's going to uh, alter his plan and uh you know we got a lot of uh we got a lot of prognosticators uh, today, you know, people that think that they, they know what's going to happen and, and uh, people that, 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 that try to uh, tell you, you know, what's going to come to pass. And uh, they may have an inkling, they may have some sort of premonition, but only God knows. <laughs> only God knows exactly what's going to happen. And we can make all the predictions, you know, we want to make, um, but a lot of times, you know, God uh, ends up having a different plan. But if he's disclosed his plan to us, that's pretty exciting. You know, if he's told us some things that are going to kind of pass, uh, we can look forward to that. And uh, we, can, uh, we can be a part of it uh, as to however much he allows uh, us to uh, during the time that he, he, he gives us to live. Yeah, it's an opportunity. It's a privilege, isn't it, to live for the Lord. It's no more a part of his plan. So Daniel was a part of God's plan. While he was alive, you know, he ran his race, right? He, uh, he stuck with his purpose. Um, he, didn't, uh, he didn't, you know, some people... Some people, uh, uh, they start off strong and then they fizzle, right? Uh, you know, some people, they, they, they start off, you know, sowing to the devil and then God uh, turns them around. They never turn back from that. Uh, kind of like, you know, like Paul. Uh, you know, and uh, then, then some people, you know, they're just they're just antagonistic to the things of God their whole life. That's a sad thing. That's a sad thing, isn't it? Um, and, and so, uh, but Daniel's one of those guys, you look at him and you think, wow, it just seems like, from a young, probably maybe, maybe it had to do with his upbringing, you know, the foundation he was given. And it just seems like, you know, he hit the ground running and, and he, you know, no matter where God took him into all kinds of situations, you know, you don't see Daniel uh, turning from what he believed. And really what it comes down to, I, th- I think, we're going to see today in, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, that, that Daniel had a solid biblical worldview. He had a truthful worldview. And everybody has a view of the world. Everybody has an interpretation of the world. Everybody is looking at the world through some sort of lens. I mean their existence and what's around them, through some sort of lens. Through some, some way of, of, uh, of processing it, I guess I would say. And uh, we're going to see that Daniel, Daniel, had a godly biblical worldview. And because of that. He was able to navigate all these things with consistency and, 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 and stick with, uh, you know, God's plan for him. And so uh, we saw last week, you know, that, uh, I mean, he was, uh, he was in some strange circumstances, right? Uh, surreal, I'm sure. I think he was probably 17, 18 years old, finds himself, you know, taken from his homeland. Uh, just that whole, that whole aspect of seeing the country that he loved that, that was in crisis. Must have been very difficult for him. But then to be taken to another land, and uh, then to be faced with challenges there that went against his convictions. That he knew before God, you know. And, and the thing, I mean, he's in a different place where very few people would even know him from day to day. Uh, but he knew God was there with him. And nobody would have blamed him if he would just gone with the flow, Right. I mean, just kind of blend in. Don't rot the boat. Don't don't make a big deal about anything. Just kind of, you know, be uh, be a be a, be a secret secret service uh, Christian, and uh, you know, and and this going to be a lot easier for you. But what is that worth in the end? I mean, if, Dan, if if Daniel couldn't take a stand on the simple things that he knew of right and wrong in his life, then what did he really have? What did he really have in his belief and confidence in God? So when it came down to what was offered to him there, there was something about that within a training program for leadership for young men that went against his conscience of what was being offered. So he said, you know, he purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to defile himself before the Lord in that matter. And then he went with, with, with uh, 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 he did a respectful appeal, gave a creative alternative to that. And that was really, I think that, that point in Daniel's life was crucial to him being the man of God that he ended up being. That was kind of, you know, as a young man, a little bit of a crossroads there. And because he proved himself faithful in that relatively small manner that he could have just kind of, you know, uh, gotten by with and nobody else would have really known, maybe, maybe his three buddies, you know, Hannah, Azariah, and Michelle, they might have known. But he was able to encourage them to do right as well. And we talked about that, you know, the positive peer pressure, I guess we could call it. Uh, courage is contagious. And we also talked about, humanly speaking, the risk of trusting God. Because, well, like, the one who was, uh, was delegated authority over them, not the king, but the one that, 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 that kind of was over these young men to train them, he said to them, you know, in essence, he said, the king is going to be really upset if you guys aren't up to snuff. If you guys, if I don't do a good job with you, the king's probably going to kill me. So that tells you it's a pretty serious matter. I mean, if the king were to find out that these guys were, you know, maybe he thought he, that he was rebellious, they were rebellious towards the, 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 the program, they would just be expendable, right? It uh, be, be better just to blend in and not to face the wrath of the, the, the authority there and, and the one who, um, you know, kind of seemed like they had, he, he, he had their life in, in, in his hand. We have to look past that, you know, when it comes to right and wrong, who really has our life in his hand? You know, the Bible says don't fear those that are able to kill the body. Fear the, you know, fear, fear the one who has his soul in his hand. That's the one you ultimately want to fear. And so Daniel had that perspective. So you see already, even though he hasn't articulated it a law, he did purpose in his heart. There was a purpose in his heart that made him purpose in, in specific settings. And, and so he had, a, he had a, a, a truthful worldview already. But here in chapter 2, we're going to see him more just articulate that. He's going to put words to that, a definition to what his worldview, what he really believed was. So when you look at it, you're going to say, okay, you know, th- there it is right there. And that's why Daniel was able to, to live his life the way he lived it, because he was so firm in his, wel- in his worldview. And so he took, he took the risk, as it were, of trusting God. Now, is there really any risk in trusting God? We know, with eyes of faith, we know there's no risk in that, right? I mean, you want to stick with God. That's the place to be. But in the, in, in the human economy, hey, we don't always see the rewards right then, do we? We don't always see the blessing. Sometimes we're thinking, I think I just want to get the blessing of doing what's convenient right now instead of what God would have. I just want to get that quick blessing right now. Well, what do we do when we do that? If, if Daniel had just taken what was convenient there by, by taking that which went against his conscience of the king's uh, meat and drink, you know, what would he have forfeited? Big picture, right? He would have gotten the, 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 the reward of that quick convenience by something far greater that God had for him. would have been short-circuited. And that's what happened so many times. You know, we just don't trust God. We just don't trust him. We don't trust Him to say, okay, I'm going to take this step of faith, even though it seems so much, somewhat perilous, and it seems like I'm losing something for the moment. I'm going to take this step, trusting that there is a reward. And, uh, you know, man, uh, mankind might call that risk, but we know that, that, that there's always a reward and a blessing when we obey God. There always is. There always is. And, and Daniel Daniel knew that at a, at a young age. Now, here in chapter 2, we see him get into another tricky situation, all right? And sometimes things happen that we it's like we have no control over. it. I mean, Daniel didn't really have anything to do with this situation, but all of a sudden, he's, he's just caught up in it. He must have felt, you know, he was speaking so helpless. Like... I've just been living my life here, trying to do the best I can to, you know, to honor God and to uh, to honor these people around me and to navigate this situation. And now my life is being threatened for something that I even really have choice in. Well, let's let's see what happens here. In chapter two, it says, "In the second year of the reign, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled in his sleep." Uh, break from him. Let's have word of prayer. Lord, help us now as we look at your word. Please bring it alive to us. Uh, help us just go beyond black and white of the, the page uh, to something vivid and something applicable. We pray by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. I've often thought, of, you know, these uh, uh, these leaders are in position of power. Uh, you know, it seems as I mean they're human beings. They're made in the image of God. God must be working in their life in some way. God must be, you know, trying to give them a certain amount of light. Uh, you know, with Pharaoh, he hardened himself and hardened himself and hardened himself, and it's almost like God turned him over to that hardness, and and uh, you know he became a, a tool of a certain sense, even in the hardness of his heart, but um, just a lost man, right? A lost man. Nebuchadnezzar was not a godly man, but yet, <laughs> you know, his spirit was being troubled, right? His spirit is being troubled. I look at some of the leaders today that, uh, you know, I'm like, Lord, just, just trouble this spirit. <laughs> you know, just stir them up a little bit here. Try to get their attention back to, you know, that, you, that you're real. And that there's some accountability here, ultimately. Um, there's some truth to be reckoned with. And uh, here, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, he, he's, he's the, the, the biggest dog. He's the, he's the, he's the, he's the, the uh, most powerful man in the world. But yet, his spirit is troubled. His spirit is troubled. And uh, his sleep breaking uh, from him. He couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. Insomnia. And then the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, who were kind of like priest-type uh, guys, um, of false gods, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And they probably came in and thought, well, oh, we have done this before, you know? The king's going to tell us a, a dream that he had or something that's going on. And we'll, in our infinite wisdom, we'll help him out with that. We'll, we'll, uh, probably a bunch of smooth talkers is what they were. All right? And they're, you know, smooth talkers seem like they're a dime a dozen. And a lot of times it seems like they get their own way because they're smooth talkers. Okay? Um, so they, they come and they stand before the king. They're probably totally confident we'll take care of this matter. And we'll probably even get a promotion from it. Okay? And so the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream. Okay, okay, let us have it. And my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Uh-oh, what's he saying here? Their mind probably starts to spin a little bit. Okay, he's not just telling us that he had a dream, he's gonna tell us a dream. Sometimes we, you know, we might tell somebody our dream, I had a really funny dream, and, and he'd tell the dream, and someone's like, that was a weird dream, right? And dreams are a strange thing. Uh, and uh, have you ever had that dream where you feel like you're falling? And when you reach the bottom, you just wake up? That's a strange dream, isn't it? You just kind of jolt away. Or those dreams that, uh, I really want to wake up now. This is scary. Uh, but he had a dream here. And I've had dreams that I, I, I tell my wife, you know, I felt like I was, like, dreaming all night. But I can't remember a thing that I, dream- that I dreamt. Well, he had a dream. And they thought that he was going to tell them the dream. And then all of a sudden he says, I had a dream but I can't really remember what it was. You see that insinuated there? Uh, my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in uh, Syriac, O king, live forever, smooth talkers. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. You're not telling us that you don't know the dream, right? I mean, you're going to tell us a dream now. Go ahead and tell us a dream, okay? And we'll, get, we'll give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. <laughs> now, you don't understand. I can't actually remember what I dream. But you guys are the men for the job, right? I mean, you've, you've told me things before. You've offered great wisdom and insight before. You know, you've helped me with things before along this, these lines. Maybe he told them a dream and they've given an interpretation of it. Uh, so you guys have, you have great insight. So I can't remember the dream, but I want you guys to tell me what it was and then interpret it for me uh oh (laughs) you can see that they were probably spinning this isn't quite what we bargained for here and uh so the king answered and said to the chaldeans a thing is gone from me I forgot what the dream was if you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof you shall be cut in pieces now this went from what seemed like it was going to be a great day for these guys maybe even a promotion things went south in a hurry okay because evidently, not only was the king troubled by the dream, but he was really upset because he couldn't remember the dream. And he was troubled enough to say that if you guys don't tell me what it was and interpret for me, I'm going to cut you into pieces. Now, I'm pretty sure these guys, you know, they were like, ha, yeah, you, we've heard that before. You'd never do that to anybody. They'd probably seen before this guy, I mean, if he wanted to be ruthless, he'd be ruthless. He was sovereign there. Of that situation, he was totally in charge and he had the resources to say, look, this isn't just a threat. This is a promise. If you don't tell me what that dream is and interpret for me, I am troubled and you're going to be in trouble. And uh, that's exactly what he said. And uh, your homes shall be made a dunghill. He says, not only am I going to cut you into pieces, I'm going to destroy your homes as well. I guess this guy was a little troubled, wasn't he? <laughs> um, and uh, then in verse six, it says, "But if you show the dream, here's your chance, boys. All right. If you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. I'll give you a promotion like you never thought you'd get if you can help me with this. All right. So you might be thinking, well, uh, okay, let's, uh, man, we're all here. Uh, well, let's just one of us just speak up and just give it a shot. Like just put a dream out there and hopefully." He'll say, yeah, 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 that was something. But they don't have time to corroborate, right? They don't have time to get their stories straight together. And, uh, and so they're just all standing there like, probably like deer in the headlights, like the saying goes. And they're like, whoa, this is heavy duty. And I think he means it. I think he is tr- a troubled king here. And, and he says, look, uh, but on the other hand, you, you, you might look at this as a bad deal, but this could be a really good deal for you if you come through for him. This It's a great opportunity. But I don't think they're seeing it that way. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Verse 7. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. So again, they say, uh, Well, yeah, sure, king, but, but can't you please remember the dream for us? Can't you do that part for us? And then we'll give you the interpretation. How convenient, right? I thought these guys were special. I thought they were magicians. I thought they had uh, special powers. And uh, the king answered. They're just charlatans, right? The king answered and said, I know of a certainty, a certainty that ye would uh, gain the time because, you see, the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. So he said, hey, look, I think you guys are just stalling. You're just stalling right now because you're asking me to tell you a dream, but I've already told you I can't remember it. All right? And, uh, and if, you, if you can't remember for me, there is one decree for you. For you, uh, you ha- have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me. Till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. Hey, look, if you tell me the dream, I'll trust your interpretation. Because yeah, that will be the easy part for sure. And the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king. It's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, not ruler, that asketh such a thing of any magician, or astrologer, or Chaldean. Now, that really was not the right answer at that point. They're trying to you know, kind of like grovel. Ah, uh, Well, they're, they're, yeah, this is unfair, king. I mean, nobody could do that. Nobody could tell you what the dream was. And any fair king wouldn't ask that of any. Now, you have a troubled man who's already told him what's going to happen, and now they're saying that he's not. He's not fair. That's not going to help the situation at all. And it says in verse 11, And it is a rare thing that the king requires, and there is none um, other that can show it before the king, except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Um, Go to the gods. Maybe they'll give you the drink, king. (laughs) Maybe they'll bail us out. Uh, And the gods there, they were going to, you know, those gods weren't, weren't, weren't God at all. In verse 12, For this cause, the king was angry and very furious. He wasn't as angry. He was angry and very furious. (laughs) Uh, And commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. So now they go, hey, look, uh, we're, the king is so mad, he's saying, look, anybody that professes to be well, one, of the, you know, the, one of the wise ones, one of the, the, the learning ones, I have the cream of the crop here, they can't tell me, they can't help me, I'm just going to destroy them all. Now, Daniel and the boys, they weren't, evidently, they weren't even in this meeting. They didn't have anything to do with it. They didn't have an opportunity to help if, if, if they could have because they weren't there. But now you know they're in a crisis situation they're in a crisis they're caught up in a setting in a land <laughs> where there's some things going down and they're they're, they're going to be a part of it they're, gonna, they're, they're seeking for them they're going through the list they're checking them off right and uh, daniel and the boys they're, they're looking for them because they're going to be killed then daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Ariath the ca- captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And so he appeals again. He appeals again. He seems to be a very gracious, very articulate young man, and he appeals. He answered and said to Ariath the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Ariach made the thing known to Daniel. Daniel said, what's the situation here, what's, what's, what's happening, why, why is such a frenzy? Verse 16, Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and then he would show the king the interpretation. Now, here again, you know, there's, there's, Daniel just has to say, God, I'm trusting you in this. I'm trusting you in this. My life is being threatened here. I'm not trusting you to give me answers, that you give me wisdom, that you give me insight. And he appeals, would you give me enough time to just be able to think about this and to come before you and to, to help you with this matter? And uh, verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the things known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions. And I think what he's saying there is, guys, I want to share this burden with you. And would you help me carry this burden? And would you help me pray about this? I think that's exactly what he said. Guys, I I I need prayer. And what a wonderful thing to have there, right? Because, you know, so many times we find ourselves in situations which are just overwhelming and kind of beyond our capacity. And isn't it good just to have some friends that say, hey, would you pray for me about that? Um, can we be in this together? <laughs> this would be really helpful. And you should, you, should, you should be able to do that in your church family. You know, just give somebody a call. Get together with somebody. Spend a few times, we all go through hard times. We go we all have crisis situations. If you have one, you're not unique. I mean, uh, and, and we care about the, the fact you, but everybody does. And so nobody's going to look down on you for that. And uh, and, and certainly, and Amishal, and Azariah, they're probably like, well, man, yeah, this is, if it's your problem, it's our problem too, obviously. Um, let's consider this matter. And so we come here. We come down to, uh, to, to verse 18. And uh, I have the first point here. And it says... Um, that they would desire mercies of the Lord of heaven concerning this secret. They realized that they were really, at this point, uh, um, they had to cast themselves upon the mercy of God. And my first point is this, that they had acceptance of the helplessness of their plight. Acceptance of this, the fact that this was a helpless plight that they were in. They were totally casting themselves upon the mercy of God, and uh, well, I mean, you know, I look around today, and there's there's situations that that is that just as 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 an, as an American maybe that I'm caught up in that I just say, Lord, I need mean, to cast myself at your mercy in this situation. I have to cast yourself, uh, I have to cast myself. I'm totally helpless here. My plight is helpless if it's not for you. And I have to accept that. And that's a hard thing for people to accept, you know that? Hey, are you like me? You want to be able to change everything yourself, right? You want to be able to find a way to fix the situation yourself. You want to be able to push a button. You want to be able to put out the word. You want to be able to find some sort of recourse of your own to be able to get it done. But you know, every person on the face of the planet is doomed if they keep that attitude throughout their life. Because the only thing that brings us to salvation before God is for us to realize that we are helpless. We are helpless. We have to accept the helplessness of our plight. Just like they were doing here in the big picture of spiritual matters. We have to say, God, without you, I I am lost. I am doomed. I'm finished. And then there's going to be situations even within the physical realm here we're going to say, Lord, I don't even know where to start with this. I, I, I can't do it. I mean, there's a part of me that, that wishes I could, but maybe it's a, good, it's a good place to be, Lord, just to come to you and say, I need your mercy here. We need your mercy, Lord. We need your mercy. And so the, they, they says that they would desire mercy of the God of heaven concerning this secret. That Daniel and his fellows would not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And uh, so they're saying, Lord, Lord, would you have mercy on us? <laughs> it seems like this, uh, some, some people are, are, are in big trouble here. And uh, Lord, would you, would you have mercy on us? Would you, would you spare us from this? Would you help us in this situation? And uh, then in verse 19 it says, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. The first point was acceptance of the helpless plight. And secondly, acknowledgement of the help provided. Acknowledgement of the help provided. Because, you know, what we do sometimes is we cry out to God, and then God answers it, and we, like, thank our lucky stars. Right? (laughs) Man, I a good fortune today. Things just kind of worked out for me. It was wonderful. And we forget about the fact that you know we were totally at God's mercy in that situation. We better take the time right then, right at that moment, to say, "Lord, I bless you. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, God of heaven, you saw and you helped where my need was." And uh, so sometimes we ask, but we don't we don't thank. Sometimes you know when we're in trouble. We're crying out and, and, and we're looking for help and we're asking, but when everything's going great, we're just going our happy way and, and we just take it for granted. And, uh, and so here they had the acknowledgement of help provided. And they didn't say, you know, David didn't say, well, you know, I'm super special because I got this figured out. He said, God, God gave this to me. God helped me with this. God gave me the wherewithal to understand this. Uh, people are very arrogant creatures. And that's the, the, the pitfall of being made in the image of God, is we have, you know, we have those components of reason and creativity and, and, and being able to figure things out. And, and a certain level of genius, really. God-given. But you need to remember, it's God-given. And any time we're able to put any of that to use to accomplish something, its God-given. God-given. Without breathing his oxygen, without he, him keeping your ticker going, and without the mind that he has given you, without any of those resources that he has uh, uh, um, entrusted to you, you would literally be nothing. And so at those times when God gives an answer, especially to some, to some predicament that you're in, take the time to acknowledge that. And if you're not in a predicament, thank him for that as well. Probably going to be running around the corner, right? Right? you better be walking with him in it. And so uh, we may call this gratitude expressed. And it's very often the mark of a biblical worldview. Someone who has a biblical worldview is going to be a grateful person. If you don't have a biblical worldview at a certain moment, you're going to be arrogant, you're going to be self-sufficient. And that can, unfortunately, come and go. We need to be more consistent in our biblical worldview. And then thirdly, uh, third and last point, is, and this is where we really see Daniel's worldview. We'll have to probably pick up a certain part of this next week. But an articulation of his preeminence. Not only did he acknowledge God for what he needed. Not only did he acknowledge God for what God had given him. But now he acknowledges, he articulates the preeminence of God. And really, when he does this, we're going to see what Daniel really believed. We're going to see the heart of where Daniel was, what the purpose of his heart was, what he truly believed, not what he just said he believed, what he truly believed that carried him through life. And it's his worldview. It's his worldview. And, uh, you know, it says here in verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God, Forever, For wisdom and might are his. Now, he starts to express what his worldview is. And his first, his first, the first part of it is that that, you know, that he recognizes and acknowledges God as being forever. God is eternal. Now, there's a lot of talk these days about, uh, about conspiracy theories. All right? Conspiracy theories. But let me tell you what the biggest conspiracy of all has been. The biggest conspiracy of all... Of all time, of all of mankind's existence, the biggest conspiracy of all time is to do away with the reality of an eternal God. That's the biggest conspiracy of all. And that's the fool's conspiracy. The fools, as they say in their heart, know God. And they spend their whole life seeking to put up mirages and, and lies and deceit. In all kinds of uh, um, false flags and all kinds of, uh, of, of spinning realities smoke and mirrors to deny the existence of God because the existence of God is so plain when someone's looking at it just in your makeup the fact that you're able to sit here and process this today is, is, is testimony of the reality of God, give me a break there's no way that we would be able to sit here as human beings and even process the truth and even be able to, to understand what we're reading from this book here. Even to be able to reason these things. For it to be passed on from generation to generation. The capacity that we had to do that we being made in the image of God. God says, come, let us reason together. How can we reason together? Because God has given us the capacity to do so. And the, the, the bizarre thing... The bizarre thing is that when we come to reason, so many people spend their whole life trying to reason God away. Using the faculties that God gave them. The miracle of life and the ability to reason to perpetuate the biggest conspiracy of all. To push God out of the picture. But Daniel's not going to be caught up in that. He's in a godless setting here. He's in a lot of people, around a lot of people that have no regard for God at all. But in that setting, he says, Blessed be the name of God. What? Forever and ever. Because he's the one that's going to be left after all is said and done. Nebuchadnezzar, that furious, angry, troubled man who had their life in his hand, he's going to be gone someday. And whether he lasts for eternity depends on his relationship with the eternal God. (laughs) Right? Right? Um, And so you know, we're gonna we're gonna look at uh, next week. We'll build on this a little more. But here's the thing: Daniel's almost like he's almost like a young person who's been brought up in a in a godly environment, in a biblical environment that is now, you know, let's maybe maybe it's sort of like he's gone to to uh, a university where he's being trained. And there and, and, and everything, and all the training that he's getting now is without God. What's going to sustain him at that point? His godly worldview. His instilled biblical worldview. Then no matter what is being thrown at him, he's going to be able to stay strong in that because he's continuing to interpret everything from the fact that God exists, God is eternal. God is true. God is the one that I want to purpose in my heart that I want to live for. No matter what anyone else is saying, no matter what else is going on. How many times have we heard of, of, I mean, we try to scratch our heads, how'd that happen? I mean, how do you have a young person who has been brought up around the Bible all their life to get to be 17, 18, 19 years old, and all of a sudden they go, and, you know, a couple years later they're professing to be an atheist? How'd that happen? Well, they didn't have a firm biblical worldview. It doesn't matter how much head knowledge they had. It doesn't matter how many times they came and sat in the the pews. And and, it doesn't matter, you know, what progress they went to. Did they have a biblical worldview established and set? And they had their questions answered by the truth of God's word. They had reasoned it and taken it to heart in a way that nothing was going to shake. Nobody gonna slap that out of their hands. That's what it takes right there. And, uh, and Daniel had that. And if Daniel, if Daniel by God's grace could do it, anybody can. But it's uh, you know it's a tricky thing. I mean, we have to we have to be thinking we have to be thinking, uh, can can a, a young person not just say they believe something, but can they articulate it from their heart? Can they explain? This is what I believe, and this is why I believe it, and this is how I will apply it in real life situations. Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael—they're gonna be in some tight spots. They're in one right now, and uh, and they're gonna be able to. They're gonna have to keep this this biblical worldview. And I will tell you what, in the days to come, our worldview is gonna be tested. It is. In crisis situations, it shows what you really believe. It shows what you really believe. Because it's easy just to, you know, when Christianity is like the popular thing, and it's like the kind of the going thing, and it's kind of like, you know, hey, we're a Christian nation, so I'm a Christian. and Everyone's like, yeah, that's good. You know, it's kind of like, you know, red, white, and blue, and Christian, and yeah. Well when it's not so much anymore, what do we really believe? Do we really have a biblical worldview? It will be tested, just like it was tested for Daniel. And then next week, we're going to see uh, seven points uh, in which, you know, I put points so they're easily to follow, but they're all, they're, they're in the verses here. You can read ahead on them if you want. Seven ways in which uh, Daniel demonstrates his biblical worldview in what he articulates. And it's powerful, it's powerful. It's life-changing, and it's, li- and it's life-sustaining. Let's pray. Lord, just uh,